no i mean architecture is political we gotta we gotta add that stuff indeed we're tearing down communities to build multifamily, and you have to understand we are creating displacement you're displacing black and brown folks and they don't come back half of this podcast would be dedicated to the history of tyler house my journey and my discoveries and hey i'm gonna solve this housing problem hey guys what's up my name is melissa daniels this is the architecturalist political podcast where black and brown folks talk about architecture i hope you enjoyed this podcast and be part of my storytelling hello everyone how are you doing wonderful pleasure to be here of course, you let the only hey, male Melissa. on this panel speak first. I'm shocked, you ladies. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, folks, for coming on this podcast. It's a full house. Of course, my name is Melissa Daniels. I am host of the Architectural Political Podcast. Let's start off with Catherine. Sure. So I'm Catherine Williams, a local architect here in the D.C. area. Natasha? Natasha Graves. I'm a licensed architect, a DBC award recipient, and now in construction. Whitney. Hi, Whitney Irving. I'm an architect in Boston and DBC scholarship winner. Nicholas. I'm Nicholas Hill. I work for HDR as a facility design manager, a project manager in our operations and maintenance vehicles group. And I've been on the DVC scholarship committee for since its inception. And lastly, Kobe, we're just doing introductions. Hey y'all, Kobe Mitchell, project manager with Seltzer Architects, uh, Memphis, Tennessee, and glad to be here with you. Thank you all. This is the DVC scholarship, Memorial Scholarship for 2023. We did this, we did this last year? It seems so long ago. We did, we did do it last year. <laughs> Let's get started. I want to talk to all of the winners. So yes, we did do this last year. Last year we had a conversation mainly with committee members, I think maybe in one or two scholarship winners. We talked a lot about the start of the scholarship last year in our podcast. So it'd be nice to focus on the winners and kind of what they got out of getting the scholarship and how that helped their trajectory <coughs> this year. So let's did start you- off with you, Whitney. How'd you hear about the scholarship? One. Two, how's the application process? Three, you heard that you won. And four, what's going on with your life since then? Yeah, so I heard about the application process through the Boston chapter of NOMA, so Boston NOMA. The application process was fairly straightforward. Where I'm at now, I am licensed about a year and a half ago. So it was just the, you, you saw the scholarship, were you taking the exams? before and that just supplemented or like how did that work okay yeah okay natasha same four questions okay hopefully i remember all of them but i think the first one was how did we i hear about it i actually think i heard it through Catherine, who's here on the call with us now because she was actually my professor at howard for i think a year so we had known each other before and she just even still like always like includes me in some of the architecture stuff that she thinks is relatable to me or I would enjoy. So I heard it through her. Um, the application process is very simple in my mind. Um, it was similar to like Whitney said, kind of like the college app, just without the super long essay. There was an essay involved, but it wasn't too bad. And then I heard I won, and that was great. In the process of testing already, 
and I had been in like kind of a slump because there was a test that I had taken. I failed it. And I think after you fail a test, it's always like, how many times am I going to pay for the same test over and over again? So that was good. And soon after that, I got my license. I got my license in August 2021. And about a year after that, I transitioned more recently into construction. So that's been interesting because I wanted to see the building process from beginning to end. And I kind of went backwards. So I started with architecture and now I'm in I wouldn't say backwards. Yeah. Started with the architecture and then now I'm in construction and then maybe one day I'll see the development side too. For me, I believe I saw, uh, it, it's kind of hard to remember because it's been a couple of years now, um, some, you know, writing the vortex, uh, correspondence, emails. Of course, I follow you guys on social media as well. And so heard about the scholarship through that. And I believe it was maybe one of the first years of the NOMA branch of the scholarship. And so um, applied, uh, was pleasantly pleased to have received it. And so for me, I am halfway through. So uh, three down, three to go. And definitely was a uh, benefit and helps me, as we all know, financial challenges of these. And as Natasha mentioned, you know, how many times I don't have to retake the same exam and pay the same, what is it, 265 or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, any any time we can get our hands on some scholarship money and, and being proactive and getting some of that, it's always uh, great. And to have uh, resources like you all um, just uh, is invaluable for our process. Mm-hmm. Nick, Catherine, do you have any questions for for Natasha or Cody? I do. So yeah, part of as we're going through this, I don't I don't want to skip too far ahead, but obviously there are some steps that. NCARB has taken, that NOMA has always taken, AIA has taken to study the performance of candidates, of people matriculating through profession. Uh, one thing my dad used to say is the only thing better than someone putting money in your pocket is to give you a cost avoidance, right? So uh, to kind of, to know that you're going to have to pay for exam, but then someone gives you money for it, it's, oh, wonderful, you know, I'm good there. So obviously that helps you pay for the exam and, and get through the process. But what do you think of scholarships beyond the actual financial aspect of it? What other aspects does it affect you and, and kind of help you in the process? And just in the big scheme of things, how do you think, what do you think its position should be in helping candidates get to the ARE and through the ARE? I guess I'll start. I think scholarships are just getting that nice pat on the back, like, okay, like you're, you're cut out for it. I think that's what it helps you get through. It's more... The money is nice, but I think it's also a sense of motivation and a morale boost, too, when you're going through a process where you can fail and you're stuck for years. So I would say that morale, um, yeah, morale for sure. Colby, how about you? And then just, you know, also the, you know, the honor that, you know, where many scholarships are named after those who have unfortunately lost their lives. And, of course, um, this scholarship, Desiree, and just, you know, thinking about her life and what it stands for and people having the wherewithal to create scholarships in names of those individuals and um, creating opportunities for other kind of posthumously names still leaving, living on and offering opportunities they may not have gotten to ultimately see, but carrying on a name and a legacy. So Natasha mentioned is sometimes it's above or beyond just the idea that we're receiving funds. So, you know, obviously that's what it is and that's what it's for. But the naming and who we're doing this for and, and keeping a legacy going, especially for our people, is, is important. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it is important. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful hearing that feedback from both of you all. Uh, you know, obviously, we're not the only group of friends that lost someone and wanted to do something, create something to remember them. But seeing that you all can still get a piece of who Desiree was and seeing, your, you know, Black Woman Architecture Award, the NOMA Member Award. I mean, these are things that Desiree either was or she was involved in all different levels of the, the scholarship as how we try to create it. So it's wonderful seeing that you all are, you know, taking up that mantle and keeping her light shining. You know, that's why we're all doing this, right? So it's great to hear that feedback. Catherine? I was going to ask, have you heard from any of your peers regarding you guys winning the scholarship and maybe, you know, them asking you about it or have you shared it with others so that either they're applying or thinking about applying? Colby, you want to start since Natasha went first last time? Yeah, sure. Of course, you know, I'm a proponent for sharing things on social media, of course, in our firm and, you know, those who are directly linked to, um, they were, you know, obviously made apprised of uh, me receiving the scholarship and again, sharing it uh, social media. So putting it out there uh, from that standpoint, but, you know, we can always do a bit better in promoting and say, hey, you know, that, that was that year, but the, it's a, a, a annual, you know, scholarship, right? So we can always do do uh, our due diligence and continuing to share and, and spread that word. So I'll say thanks for the reminder, Catherine. <laughs> and I would agree. I think I've, I've definitely told people about it, even throughout my whole licensure process, if I ever came across something that was beneficial I've always been keen on sharing, um, I, but I find that a lot of people that would be able to benefit from the scholarships that I benefited from are not testing or have paused, so it becomes harder to get people engaged in applying for scholarships, but tried. I could also, as Kobe said, I could also promote it more always, but yeah. Not a problem, not a problem. We understand. We are a small volunteers as well, so you know we rely on a little bit of word of mouth of getting it out there and making sure people know about it. And we try to improve on that every year as far as making sure that we stretch a little bit wider of telling people about it. So, so this year, the 2023 DVC Scott Memorial Scholarship is in full swing. Catherine, so what financial wise, how are we doing this year? How many scholarships can we give away? So we're doing four scholarships, uh, which is four full scholarships, I should say. When we first started, I think we started with a portion. We started back in 2018, I think it was 2017-18. It was a portion of the exam, but we have had some funding that was given to us. Mainly last year, we got a grant from Wapperwood Johnson and a group associated with them. So that pretty much is funding us for the next three years. Um, and so we, we're we still fundraising and we're kind of putting all that in the bank and then using this grant for the next three years, which basically will be a full scholarship for the four categories for the full amount of the six exams. So the $1,410 for each of the four categories. Nick, you've been part of this since the inception, and you've had the privilege of reading some of these applications. Any tips for any persons who are interested in applying? What stood out when you were reading these applications? I think you need to, life is about balance, right? And where we always have to show a wide range of abilities. I think showing your, obviously, build on what you've done. Reflect on what you've done. But um, I was actually talking to my office principal earlier. We were discussing candidates for full-time employment here. And 
you were just saying you have to have a, you know, there should be criteria, right? You don't just bring someone on because they're a warm body. You don't just give a scholarship to someone because they 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 can write their name on an application. But um, if you're not going to have, if you're not going to be able to elaborate on a full-bodied career, how do you talk about what you've done and what this means to you? You know, when we sit on design juries and you look at students' work, yeah, they can talk about it, but do you see that they feel it? <laughs> you know, so whatever you've done, talk about it, express it in, in, in those terms, you know, talk about how this, what this means to you and how this is going to fulfill a certain role. Obviously, it's money and money, like I said before, my dad's father, my paternal grandfather uh, asked my dad one time, hey, open up your pocket. He said, what's in there? <laughs> he said, what is that? And my grandfather told me it's the best place in the world for a dollar, right? <laughs> so money's always good no matter who, but doesn't mean you're going to get it or not. So I'd say just as architects, yeah, we're great. We're visual people. You've got to be good with that pen as well. You've got to be able to express yourself. You've got to be a good writer. You've got to be able to explain. You have to be a good editor. You have to be able to take all this information about your life and no one knows your life better than you. And you've got to be able to convey that to someone that's going to be meeting you for the first time, right? So that's what I say. Just put your own special package together and present yourself wonderfully. And that's going to convey to the, uh, to the jury. I do want to say one thing about Catherine mentioned the financial vehicles that we use to fund the scholarship. And, you know, you always have to make sure you're, you're doing the best that you can. And, you know, everyone, it starts off as a, oh, we're just a fledgling scholarship, but we are. But, uh, you know, we reach out to a lot of people. I believe we have a, a very big reach because of Catherine's uh, Black Women in Architecture brunch. That's definitely done a wonderful job. You know, when President Obama was running for office the first time, he tried to focus on the most amount of donors for lower amounts than just a few donors for huge amounts. So we don't have a machine behind us. We don't have, you know, a staff that can send out letters, you know, asking for all the support or development team behind us. But to have everyone that engages Catherine for the and her team for the brunch to allow them the opportunity to to contribute to the DVC Memorial Scholarship, that's definitely helped. You know, you're going to uh, work on your alliances, your affiliations, connections that you have to certain donors or certain organizations that you know give certain financial assistance. But to make this a very democratic thing, I think that's a that's a wonderful opportunity. Catherine, I don't know if you want to uh, expound on that, but I think it's what makes us somewhat special in that regard. Yeah, so the brunch event every year that we've been doing since 2015, the Black Women Architecture Brunch started off really in the D.C. area to connect D.C. Black women. We did that the first year really just as a networking event, you know, just a gathering. And by the third year, we got people asking us to sponsor and, you know, we were charging for tickets and those kind of things. And we had additional money. And for me, like the scholarship was personal because I was working outside of uh, traditional firms when I was taking my exam by the time I was, I was finishing up my exam. And so I didn't always have like a firm or an architecture uh, employer who understood the exam and that was part of our employee benefits. So a lot of it I was funding out of my pocket. And so I knew that that was a barrier for folks getting the exams. And so that's why kind of talked together about like, hey, we're getting this money from the brunch, what should we do with it? And that was kind of one of the first ideas was to create the scholarship for for licensure because we felt like that was one of the places where we can make a big impact, sort of alleviate that barrier 
successful. So now the brunch we regularly have, it's an annual event, so we regularly have 40 to 50 people. We have proceeds from sponsors event. And then we have people that specifically donate, whether they're corporate entities or others, that specifically say, well, I want to donate to the scholarship. You know, you guys do the brunch, that's nice and everything like that, but I specifically want my $500 or my $1,000 to go to the scholarship fund. And then we also invite people who are attending to donate, you know, five or $10 on top of their ticket price to the scholarship fund. So that regularly gets us a little bit into the bucket every year for the fund. Natasha, Kobe, did you guys apply to any other scholarships? No, I did not. Sorry, I was struggling with the mic. I did not. I actually found that it was difficult to find ones where I aligned with the actual application requirements. So this is one of the few that I felt I had a good chance at actually getting and being able to apply for. Yeah, I have uh, applied for Others, one that I have received outside of the BBC is uh, AIA Tennessee. They have established a JEDI committee over the last few years and have, uh, through that committee, uh, established a scholarship. And so I was uh, the recipient of it um, last year. Yes, last year. What study tool did you guys use? Black Spectacles, Amber Book, and ARE Boot Camp. And of course, uh, for the contract exams, the uh, Architecture Handbook of Professional Practice. I feel like I used most of those. I used Hyperfine and what is the last one? There was somebody's notes that I was using. I can't remember her name now, but Elif. She was like the last resource that I got custom to during PPD and PDD. And I feel like that made a huge difference. So. Whitney, what were some of the exam materials that you used and what other scholarships that you applied for, if any? I did not apply for any other scholarships. This was the only one. And the materials I used were the Ballast book and the associated online study materials um, that I paid for on a monthly basis. And then my firm provided, at first it was Black Spectacles, and then they switched over to Amber Books. And Amber Books was a big help for me. It kind of broke it down and helped me understand the topics a lot better. Reflecting back, or currently, these study materials are not cheap, especially Amber Book. That's like $400 a month. This will let you, Catherine and Nicholas, know it, it's $400 a month, unless you do it in a group. <laughs> and a Black Special, all these things are subscription-based now. Yeah. Back in the day, back in the day, you just <laughs> bought, what, Kaplan and Ballas. And I was going to say, I materials from back in the day, because it's been... <laughs> and then years. there was the Thaddeus Structure yes. Course. The course, yeah. That came around every so often. So I feel like these exams, study materials have gotten super expensive. How did you guys offset that or not? Uh, yeah. So I for the more expensive things with the Amber books, that was something that I ended up getting a connection through my firm at the time. So I didn't have to pay for that one. And then the other ones that I used were more quiz-based, and so I just paid for them out of pocket, and they were a little bit more affordable. So I don't think I did anything to offset the cost. I just kind of ate it and just assumed that that was just a part of the process. 
I would say that same as Natasha with the Amber books being provided by my firm. Yeah, same. Firm wide uh, subscriptions for Amber Book and uh, Black Spectacles, and uh, of course scholarships uh, aided in, in some of that study material as well. Any advice you would get? Any lessons learned from this whole process? From testing or from testing? That's a good. I think I would pass along the same advice I was given, which was to start testing or studying fairly soon after you graduate because you're already in that same headspace. I don't think everything will be applicable to what you're doing. And that's the hard part. Like as far as construction goes, if you don't get that experience, it's extremely hard to take that test. But I think getting familiar with the material as early as possible and maybe trying to apply it to your everyday work will make a lot more sense to you and make the test a lot easier to pass. Sign up for the exam and then make a plan to help you study and give you an incentive to get back into studying when you aren't used to it, especially from architecture school and the programs that vary across the country. So I would definitely say sign up, go ahead, put the money there and you're forced to start studying and get to it. Yeah, definitely signing up. You know, once you pay for that exam seat and you select that date, now you put the, the pressure on. So before you do that, it's like, it's, it's kind of open. And so you, 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 that, that will be the, the biggest bit of advice is just to push yourself. And for me now, still in the uh, licensing process, uh, I'm sure you all have heard that uh, NCARB has done away with the rolling clock now. Mm -hmm. And so that's a gift and a curse. Number one is like, you know, I, I don't have to worry about that added pressure or weight, but also it's like, let me not take my foot off the gas either because it would allow you to get a little lazy if, if you don't stay on it. So it's like, you, know, you don't have that time crunch anymore, but it's definitely more beneficial than not overall, as the studies had showed, that it's more of an impact on women and people of color by far than any other. So, because, you know, life happens, right? There are different circumstances that, you know, get in the way and yeah, push a lot of people up against that five-year rolling clock. And so, um, but uh, the biggest bit of advice I would say is just, you know, locking in and, and, and push yourself there because you, you're going to it's going to force you into learning mode, test mode and just kind of pushing through. Yeah. And Kobe, just check your state because you're in Tennessee, sir. Yeah, so just check your state. <laughs> we're good. We're good. That's, oh, you know, you're that's good? First, yeah, that's the first thing we looked at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Appreciate it. <laughs> and it's for testing. So if they decided do a new test, old test, not the, not old, but the old, old test. Mm -hmm. um, Two versions get, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is still a clock per se. Yeah. It's not infinity, but, right. but yeah, it does. It does reprieve a lot of people. Yeah. Nicholas? Yeah. Um, you know, back when it used to be a young architect was 40 years old, right? But uh, now that, you know, with the IPAL program and a lot of um, recent graduates starting to take the exam right after they graduate, you know, that young architect is, is getting younger and younger. Um, but, you know, as you see in sports and definitely in many different industries, younger people are experiencing burnout at ages that that might you know, used to have a midlife crisis. Now the midlife crisis is happening at 27, <laughs> you know, but having such a, a tie to the industry, to the field as being licensed, how have you resolved that within yourself and how do you use, how, how have you used that to navigate the industry so far? 
Colby, uh, you're still on this side of being licensed, so you're still aspiring to that. How have you used that to act as a rudder towards how you foresee your career? And then, Tasha, how have you used your license to navigate whatever opportunities that you've tried to set up for yourself in the future, now and in the future? That's a good question, because uh, I definitely feel like when you pass all your exams and your license at 25, it's an imposter syndrome for sure, because what does that I don't even see it's almost like being a doctor when you first graduate like would you go open somebody's body up maybe like you're licensed to do that like you're allowed to if do they that, needed but, you too you <laughs> right like you have to do that and i feel like i struggled with that for a really long mm. time but i think it's okay to tell yourself i'm licensed but i don't feel comfortable doing this i don't feel comfortable stamping drawings that that's okay if that's how you feel and to i think it's about giving yourself experiences to grow and to feel confident and to feel comfortable getting to that space i don't feel that there's a rush to be the lead designer because to be honest in the industry it's hard to get that respect i feel from older um or more experienced people in the field where they'll say okay like you're licensed you passed some tests but that doesn't mean you know how to design a building which is very accurate and very true because i don't think the tests measure your ability to uh, create a, a CD set, to be honest. I think it measures your ability to know how to test. So, yeah, I would say, but beyond that, beyond that, I would say, like, I gave myself some time to understand that it'll take me more time to feel 100% confident in my ability as an architect. But I think moving forward, like, into new job opportunities, it is something to say, I have the focus, I have the determination to go through this process, even though I don't know everything. I'm willing to give my all as far as dedication and determination to get through it. So that is a benefit to having me on your team, regardless of what that field may be. Catherine? Oh, I didn't know if uh, Colby wanted to answer the question first. Uh, or Colby already. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think statistics show that, I don't know if it's just for us or period, but it takes about 13 years or so from the start of school to, you know, attain your license. And I'm, I'm right around that point now. And so, I mean, just a long, arduous process for us. And and I, I'm feeling every bit of it from exams passed and exams failed. And you're going in and you're feeling like I'm good on this one and likely fail. And then you're going in, oh, I don't know about this and the likely pass. So it's, it's been some ups and downs and that adds years to your body. <laughs> Just that those uh, few hours in front of that, that screen alone. But I mean, it, it's a process. And I think we all knew that coming into it, that this profession, again, as mentioned before, like being a doctor, it's, it's one that requires time and experience and the field is ever changing and ever evolving. And you have to evolve along with those processes with continuing education credits and so forth and so on. So it's kind of understood that it's something that you just kind of pace yourself and, um, you know, whether you cross that threshold at 25 or in my case, 36, you know, it's, it's the long game. And so ultimately the goal is to increase that 2%. And so we're especially have a mantle to care for in that regard. So I feel like as a black woman in the profession, you, like Natasha said, you don't necessarily get the respect. People don't view, us, view you as having the answers. So my biggest goal for getting licensed is that I would have the credibility to then move forward, to then be promoted, to move up. Um, my goal is to lead an office one day. So this is a step towards that goal. And 
it gives me the credibility to do that, essentially. I agree, though, that it takes a lot of experience to get to that point. And so I've recently changed firms and I, in the interview process and every day, I'm just like, I'm very transparent. I know that there are a lot of things that I don't know, but I'm willing to learn and get there. And so it's just going to take that time to get to that 40 year old, you know, architect position. But I feel like getting the license is a big step towards that. Yeah. It's, so, it's, there's a lot there. I mean, you know, you look at someone like Mel Mitchell that talks about African-American architect and definitely we needing to proliferate the numbers of a sole proprietor African-American firms. But then you look at other advice I got when I was a, a grasshopper in the field. Um, you know, my mentor at the time was saying, what's the, you know, if you have your own firm, if you're a principal in a large firm, pros and cons on both sides, right? So there are ways of, of us viewing how we can wield our architectural sword it depends on what you want to do. My wife said years ago, when you know, we get licensed, different people see you and people see you differently, right? Mm. So use that to your advantage and depends on what you want. Again, like Colby said, you got to play the long game, right? Yes, indeed. All right. I'm going to ask, because uh, I know Melissa wants us to wrap it up. So my question, um, I had a couple of questions, but I think my question that I'm going to ask as sort of a, one of our wrap up questions is about mentorship, because I think when we think about Desiree and who she was and why it was important to us to create the scholarship with her for her was um, all the things that she was doing to help others in the profession. And so I wanted you all to talk about either how mentors have affected you and then also how you are being a mentor to others. And Whitney, why don't we start with you? Yes. So mentors have helped me, which they generally all been male mentors, minority and white. They've helped me, I guess, with the confidence. I keep coming back to that confidence and self-esteem and knowing what my worth is and being willing to ask for it. So when I applied to jobs coming out of college, there was a big push for my mentor to negotiate, 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 and ask for what I knew I not only needed to survive in a city with a high cost of living, but also my worth. And so that was one of the biggest things that I learned from my mentors. Mentorship for me now is a lot through the Boss Noma chapter, and we have a mentorship program, but also we're getting better connected with the student chapters. There are a lot of universities in the Boston area, and so we recently had a grad mingle session, and so being there and being able to just be face-to-face with the students, give them just little tidbits of advice, like, like I mentioned, negotiation. One of them, I was having a conversation with her, and she's going to be at the point where she's trying to start to apply for jobs. I'm like, do you know how to negotiate? And she didn't know that was a thing. So I think mentorship in the long term is great, but also, you know, giving that advice in those little bit, those little moments can help out a lot in making sure you follow up. Colby or Natasha, whatever one of you guys want to jump in. Yeah, I would say for me, just number one, working for a Black-owned firm, the mentorship is almost built in there. So you're surrounded by ready to go, you know, at the tips of your fingers, uh, mentorship on a daily basis. But then also for me, there's a passion of mine to educate other young people. So I do quite a few career days and actually just uh, this is my first semester actually uh, teaching as an adjunct uh, professor at the U of M. So being able to mentor um, those who are, you know, starting that path and, you know, will soon be um, graduating and starting their AXP process and uh, on to licensure. So 
uh, just continuing to be a, a voice um, as I'm being mentored myself while mentoring. Uh, it's, and so it's an a interesting place to be in, but we're all kind of trying to get there together, you know. And I would say, I think uh, mentors have affected me dramatically just because I think they're the people that are able to place you in rooms or speak about you when you're not there. And so I feel like I've had people inside of work and outside of work that have done that, have introduced me to really great opportunities. And I think the, the people outside of work that have become my mentors have always happened very casually, like very happenstance. It's never been a formal situation with me. And that's transferred over into how I've met, I guess, I guess you could consider them mentees, but I think of them more as friends almost. Um, so some of them come are people that are younger than me that graduated after me from Howard or people that I've worked with in the past that know that I've kind of been in their shoes and will randomly call me and ask me questions about how do I navigate this or so yeah, I would say mentorship is extremely important and a lot of times why you're successful in life. I wanna thank everybody for coming on today. Whitney, Natasha, Nicholas, and Catherine to discuss Desiree's legacy and how we are continuing it through you guys and the future 2023 recipients. So just to let you guys know, April 30th is the deadline for the scholarship. We have four of them, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Black Women in Architecture Award, the Harrisburg PA Memorial Award, the DC Memorial Award, and the NOMA Award. We will provide a link in the show notes so you guys can check it out and see if you meet the requirements. So thank you so much, everybody, for coming on. And uh, I can't wait to see all the projects and other awards that you guys will win. Thanks, you guys. Stay on the line. Thanks for tuning in to Architecture's Political Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it informative or at least entertaining. If you like what you heard, please share with others. You can also connect with Arcus Polly on social media, currently on Instagram, as well as Facebook and Twitter. If for more information, visit us on our website. It's arcuspolly.online. A-R-C-H-I-P-O-L-L-Y dot online. I also want to thank our loyal supporters who have been with this podcast for at least three years. It means the world to me, and I'm totally grateful to have you part of this community. I will try to bring you the best content as possible, and I can't wait to share more amazing episodes with you. If this is your first time listening or just like a particular episode, or all of them you can support this podcast by going on glow.fm slash arcuspoly again thank you for your support it means the world to me and thank you so much for listening